Welcome to Important Not Important. Important. My name is Quinn what? Emmett. That's how it's starting? I'm Brian Colbert Kennedy. Yeah. Oh, he's so excited to be here. Come this on. is uh, episode 32. Hey, Brian, today's topic, it's time, Brian, for radical environmental justice action. It's been time. It's been time. A lot of people have been like, yeah, we've been here the whole time. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's time for us and our listeners to get the hell on board. Our guest today, pretty awesome. Liked her a lot. She uh, was fantastic. She put and up she's, with. She she's put in up charge with a of lot a lot today. of people. So all the people. <laughs> her name is uh, Shanta Reddy Alonzo, and she's the executive director of the Creation Justice Ministries. Where, uh, yeah, from what I understand, she's just, I think, in charge of all the religious people, right? Yeah. If you're, if you count yourself as a religious person in any way, she's your boss. <laughs> she's now your boss. You have to do what she says. So, uh, again. Whatever she says, that seems to be Thankfully, the case. she's wonderful and seems like she wants she to help seemed, the planet and all the people on it. So that's good. Right. Uh, she's a Notre Dame alum. Check. Fighting Irish. And uh, Creation Justice Ministries. And this is important why she's here today. Uh, their mission is to educate, equip, and mobilize Christian communions and dominant denominations to protect, restore, and rightly share God's creation. And here's where it's important because they focus on the vulnerable and marginalized. And those folks are our concern today right uh we got into some chicago stuff we yes of course because there are quite a few people in chicago who could use some uh uh extra attention and love and support just could, like there are all over the country yeah because uh, i mean some examples of the things she brought up that they work on and they they fight against and they fight for just it's just it's fucking ridiculous yeah she had mentioned I mean obviously listen she mentioned it meet, meet, needing to be a much bigger bigger conversation uh, uh in the world you know this this topic what we're talking about today but i really liked it when she said that you know part of her job is to is going into local like going into communities and and pointing out or highlighting what what locally needs needs to be done i feel like that is sort of the way to do it do that or listening everywhere. to what those people are saying needs to be done and yeah, they, yeah they can help educate them or assist them yeah that's I, I don't know i feel like if you're just like you know just a regular dude and you know shit's fucked up but you're just like watching cnn or whatever like there's not it's too broad. Like, I think you need to see what's going on. Yeah, we have to stop climate change. Eyes. Cool. Yeah, right. My sidewalk's been flooding for like 10 years. Like, what the fuck do I do about yeah. that? Well, uh, the, the, this is how you can educate yeah, yourself things. on why right. and how you talk to your local representatives about it uh, and get them get them fired up. Yeah, her organization seems pretty, uh, pretty important. Well, that's where people are going to give a shit the most and also where they can have the most impact. Yeah, yeah right? right where they live. Right. And for some of these folks, again, these communities of color and the minorities, uh, lower income folks, uh, they've been dealing with this stuff for forever, pre pre climate change effects of the past 20 years. Right. You know? Yeah. So it's like forever. Hey, you've got a laundry list of shit that's making your kids sick. Guess what? Mm -hmm. Now everything's on fire. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. God, we fucked this. So, Brian, we've been we've been we've been torching this place for about 100 plus years, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Everyone's like, hey, you know what would be a great idea? Factories. I, right? I, I, yeah, go ahead. No, please. I have a real quick thing. I re- uh, My buddy posted, I think it was our friend, actually, friend of the podcast, Mike Rylander, posted this little uh, newspaper <laughs> clipping from, I think it was 1906. Okay. That, uh, I don't, I can't remember if it was uh, a, a city that was saying, I can't remember who, what newspaper it was or who, who was writing it, but they had said like, we've recently discovered that all the, coal that we're burning like out of, out of our stoves and our houses uh-huh. Uh-huh. are uh you know there's it's changing the air a little bit and like that might have a profound effects uh, in the next century good so. work everybody 
Like we've known, we've fucking known for a while. And right. nobody's done anything. And this, so I want to talk a little bit about perspective. So we get so mad because we find all these papers where Exxon in the 60s is like, right. oh, it's going to be real bad. Right. right. And then they covered it up. We're like, but you shouldn't have put it on paper because now, yeah, now we know. Uh, uh, despite all the lawsuits getting tossed out, still like they knew. You've, you've got a newspaper article from 1906. They're like, hey, may, maybe not look, great. Look here. Maybe not great. So a uh, hundred ish years, right? Yep. Humans have been around-ish, 200, 300, this version of humans, right. homo sapiens, 200, 300,000 years, right? Okay? Okay. Uh, prancing around. Right. Sounds, like, sounds like we took, actually, there were a couple different groups the way they left Africa and went in different directions. Oh, yeah, we yeah. found, uh, recently found some really early fossils in China. Yep. A um, couple different ways they spread across America. It just wasn't like one group, one little family that went for a trip. Some went north, some went south. Yeah. Came back together a few times. Kind of crazy. 200, 3,000 years. Let's talk about dinosaurs for a sec. So everybody's like, dinosaurs are cute, right? They're so great. They're so great. <laughs> sauropods, which are like basically the biggest ones. Yeah. They were sauropods specifically. Right. Were on the planet for 140 million years. Man, that's insane. So 203,000 years, and I tried to do the math on this. Not a math guy. But right. this is what the calculator told me on my Mac. Oh my God, it's such a great shortcut. It's like... It's like one tenth of one percent of how long dinosaurs, those specific dinosaurs, that's crazy. Around there. So we're like, oh, dinosaurs are here, then the asteroid. No, 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 no. Nope. No, 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 no. We are not even like a blink of the fucking eye. And that's how quick we fucked it up. Right, right. Yeah, that's, like, that's impressive. Everyone's like, oh, it's so important. We learned to cook and eat meat, and that's what made our brains bigger. Also, <laughs> it made us fuck it up. Yeah. We, it is, it's the ultimate. Wow. It is the ultimate. Like, this is why we can't have nice things. That's sad. And we always joke about how much we like that t-shirt of like, uh, you know, dinosaurs didn't have a space program and, and or didn't, didn't have science. And this is what happened. To them. Oh, it's yeah, like, yeah. And yet they didn't do anything wrong either. No, they were just hanging out. They're just hanging out. Fucking asteroid just comes along. Uh, you got nuclear winter everywhere. Everything's on fire in big waves. They didn't, they didn't bring that on. They didn't do anything to stop it, which they could have, Worked a little harder at. Yeah. Sure. Come on, dinosaurs. Right? We, we've seen that. We can imagine that if they banded together, they could have built some sort of spaceship. <laughs> but the point <laughs> is, is like, boy, we really deserve this is, shit we're yeah, getting. That is not a lot of time to, to uh, impact everything that, we've, that we have impacted. Right. Oh, uh, so anyways, uh, conversations most vital to the survival of the species. My last segue of this intro. Uh-huh. This is a topic we've come back to back and forth, and I finally tied it to the survival of the species. Oh, okay. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Headline. Science has resolved the question of boxers versus briefs. Oh my God, Eve. So you got me on board with this. They're very comfortable, right? Okay. okay. So I told you I got this, this uh, company. They're on Amazon or on their website, Saks, S-A-X-X. The prints are preposterous. They're ridiculous. You're right. But they're so comfortable. Big fan. I went with the trunks and the briefs. Okay. Okay. So... Here's the problem. What so, are trunks? Boxers? Like small boxer briefs. Okay, okay, They're in okay. between. Okay, okay. Okay. And then briefs. Okay. Uh, hold on. Where's the line I wanted to talk about? Oh, no. Is this going to be something bad? It's not great. So a lot of our listeners haven't had kids yet, right? For one reason or another. Studies found that men who mostly wore boxers, which is old me. Old Quinn. Thanks, Brian. Uh-huh. Had 17% more sperm and a 25% higher concentration of sperm 
than men who preferred tight underwear. What studies? So many studies. I'll tell you about them. For the latest study, which appeared in Human Reproduction, researchers drew on data collected from more than 650 men who sought treatment for infertility at the Massachusetts General Hospital between 2000 and 2017. Men who ranged in age from 18 to 56 provided samples that were analyzed for sperm count, concentration, motility, and well-being. So, what's the 17%? Uh, what did I say? 17% less sperm right. and 25% less of a concentration of sperm this, if you're this, wearing this tight This is unders. why this sounds insane to me. Briefs aren't tight. No, but here's the thing. You're not like uncomfortable. But there's no it's other thing they're comparing fabric. it to. No, 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 no. It's not. They're holding. They're holding. So, here's the thing. Ready? Here it is. The two things. It's super annoying how low right. our balls hang. Right. Super annoying. But it's got to be that way for a reason, right? So we decided, you know, it'd be comfy is like warm, tight uh, mm, undies. Mm, mm. Turns out ooh, they're probably hanging down for a reason. So less sperm. But here's the deal. Uh, my wife has instructed me that we're done having children. Okay. So it's actually, this news is fine. doesn't <laughs> this is matter. Great. You're done. I would suggest. Very bad for me. Not great for you. This was the first thing I thought is you really love a baby. You, don't, gonna ha- you don't have one I'm yet. I'm going to have babies. One, one of these days. Or are you because you love the tight undies? So, anyways, I don't even remember when and why I've this ever comes worn survival boxers, of the species. So is, if everybody starts wearing tight no, underwear, everybody has twenty five percent the smaller concentration of sperm. I think that's ball game, literally, right? Well, what nice? Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> anyways, they've had enough. Uh, let's go talk to uh, Shanta Reddy Alonso. I'm a little pissed. I told you days ago that I had something to talk about in our intro. And I now was, the intro's too damn long. No, it's not too long. No, 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 tell me. Because I thought it was the newspaper article. That's why I thought I could start talking. Go, what's your thing? It's way too long. No, what's your thing? I'm serious. We're just going to do it next week. I mean nope, it. do it now. I mean it. Do it it's now. Gonna, it's, gonna be, it's a whole thing. Do it now. Can't do it. Will you stay for a whole work day next week so we can do it? Or are you just going to have to skip out because you got a bench press? Well, it depends on how much bench pressing I do and if people want to put me in commercials, Quinn, okay? You look good. Ah, oh, fuck you. Let's go talk to Shanta. Our guest today is Shanta Reddy Alonzo, and together we're going to talk about uh, digging into radical environmental justice uh, and the steps you can take to get on board, because it's time. Uh, Shanta, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. For so sure. happy for you to be here. Uh, okay, so let's just start um, with who, who you are and what you do. Sure. I lead an organization called Creation Justice Ministries. We bring together 38 Christian denominations, communions, and fellowships from five church families. That includes Orthodox Christians like the Greek Orthodox, the Orthodox Church in America, and the Armenian Orthodox. It includes many Baptist traditions, including the Alliance of Baptists, American Baptists, Progressive National Baptist Convention, National Baptist Convention USA, National Baptist Convention of America, so many Baptists. Wow. (laughs) The mainline Protestants, including the United Church of Christ, the Episcopal Church, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. I feel like she's just showing off at this point. I'm impressed. Traditions, including Mennonites, Quakers, and Brethren, and historically Black Church traditions, including African Methodist Episcopal, Christian Methodist Episcopal, and African Methodist Episcopal Zion. You're like the person on LinkedIn where you're like, oh, she all of the contacts. Like you're, you're like Barack Obama. She's right. like, she's connected to everyone. Is there, uh, is there well, somebody that so you're... This organization was built through networks of the National Council of Churches USA. And it's 
actually about as old as I am. It was born in 1983. Mm-hmm. Same. And it started because of three things going on in the 80s. One was the rise of consumer culture. And there was profound concern in religious communities about how consumerism was spiritually impacting our communities. And we saw that the rise in consumer culture was really something that was promoted intentionally through government and commercial Mm -hmm. um, sources Mm -hmm. and that there needed to be a loud voice about simple living and keeping focused on um, God and community and the things that matter. I'm looking around my office at all of the uh, action figures I have Uh from the eighties and I'm like, Oh, that's me. (laughs) She's talking a really good job. She's talking about, they did a really good job convincing us we needed everything. The second thing that was going on at the time was the acid rain crisis. And religious leaders felt that there needed to be an organized faith-based presence uh, speaking out against um, all of the precipitating factors. We're talking uh, about actual acid rain? To acid rain. Real acid rain. And uh, the third thing that was going on at that time was actually the rise of the secular environmental movement mm-hmm. and some astute voices in it that w- talked about how um, we ha- are in the mess we're in because Christians had misread something called the dominion mandate in the book of Genesis, which is a line in the book of Genesis that um, is in the creation story. And God says that all humans should have dominion over the earth. Mm-hmm. And that has been misread by many as domination. There's a lot of history to that. We can get into that later if you like. Yeah, we- this has been a topic of frequent. We are, we are, uh, we are both. I'm not going to say pagans here, uh, uh, atheist-ish, right. different right, right. backgrounds, but we've talked to a couple of reverends and such and uh, talked about the uh, the complications with that one specific little uh-huh. section. And- it's a very problematic section. Yeah. yeah. So they felt that there needed to be much stronger and clearer uh, Christian teaching available about what our faith says about our relationship to creation. And so from that point, a uh, working group of faith leaders from the National Council of Churches got together and formed a working group. And since then, we have done things like put together the Green Bible, mm-hmm. which highlights all of the texts in the Bible in green that relates to caring for creation, just to make sure oh, nobody like misses that. it. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, we also started the tradition of honoring Earth Day Sunday, so congregations can take the Sunday closest to Earth Day and celebrate. And then we've done quite a bit of advocacy over the years, um, connecting, educating religious communities about current issues and showing how they can plug in and make a difference. And we worked on um, climate, energy, environmental health and toxics, clean water, clean air, but to name a few, endangered mm-hmm. species, public lands. We've really run the gamut. Are you showing off again? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, she, she does everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, Faith communities are are up to a lot and more than I can individually keep track of, but I try to um, serve everybody and connect them as best I can. Uh, and Creation Justice Ministries was born as the environmental partner to the National Council of Churches in 2013. And now the National Council of Churches sends all environmental issues our way. And we've retained basically the same membership uh, as the National Council of Churches. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. So you've done a lot. You do a lot. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, so, so Shanta, let's get into our uh, conversation um, for, for today. Uh, we love asking questions, okay? It's like our thing, uh, but not just any questions, okay? We want, we want to ask action-oriented questioners, uh, questions because our, our listeners 
are, uh, you know, screwing around with their phones all day when they should be focusing on the road, which is actually a real pain in the ass for me because I ride a motorcycle. Uh, or, you know, they're jogging or uh, they're on their subway, uh, you know, half asleep or cranking out some candy crush or whatever. The uh, point <laughs> is they're not sitting here doing research while we're talking. Right. So we want to give them as much context as possible before we get nerdy about all this. Great. Does that, that sound pretty good? That sounds good. Groovy. All right. So, uh, Shanta, we start with one important question to really uh, get the heart of why you're here with us today. So instead of saying, uh, tell us your life uh, story, we like to ask, Shanta, why are you vital to the survival of the species? <laughs> <laughs> and that is usually the first reaction yeah, like from people. Like, first. What? Um, <laughs> but listen, you're here for a reason, both on uh, the planet and on our podcast with all of our technical difficulties. So give it to us. Tell, be bold. Tell us, what, what, are you, uh, what are you here for? Sure. Well, I believe mm-hmm. that the role of creation justice ministries, which I'm currently leading Mm -hmm. is really important in survival of the species (laughs) because most people in the United States do identify with a faith community. Mm -hmm. And through our members, we serve about a hundred thousand churches and 40 million people. And that's a lot of people that need to be involved in our all hands on deck effort to protect the creation from climate devastation how's that that is perfect pretty much pretty wonderful i think we can wrap it up right that's, <laughs> this has been great <laughs> yes it's been really great thanks for coming no that really is um, that's a lot of people that's a, a lot of people that a lot are of listening people that she, i think what she's saying is that she's in charge of all of the all of those all people. of the people right. i wish i wish they would uh all pay attention to climate change we're right? working on it one right. by one all right well by the end of this <laughs> thank you all right um so we're gonna set up some context uh for today's question and i do have to Say, this is one that fires me up a lot. Um, I'm from Southeastern Virginia. Our, um, you know, my high school's uh, 50% black and, uh, you know, many of the kids, you know, 70, 80% are, are on free lunch. Um, it is, um, uh, there, there's an enormous amount of environmental injustice going on. And I, I appreciate so much people like yourself and organizations like yours that are cranking on this thing. Um, so we're tinkering with our format a little bit. I'm going to dig into some context. Brian, uh, usually gives a little silly book report, uh, as context, but he's going to, about silly. Uh, well, ish. Um, he's, he's going to take a little step back and try to come at this a little more clean. Like our listeners again, who, uh, who can't just do research the whole time. He's, um, kind of like a newborn child. The whole, whole world is going to be open to him, uh, today. So a lot of the questions will mostly be coming from him as he tries to stand in, uh, for listeners a little bit. So there, there's no question black and, and the Hispanic communities in America are overall poorer than the general population. So, and we can get all into all the ways they're affected by the decisions we've made, um, specifically in this case for the past hundred years, the industrial area, the, the war on drugs, housing mm-hmm. discrimination, et cetera, et cetera. But today and always uh, for us, we're focused on these relatively larger implications. And that's the environmental and health impacts of the past hundred years and, and going forward. Um, so our poorest communities, uh, they're typically forced to live in areas where the rent is much cheaper. And, and mm-hmm. why is it cheaper? Uh, and, and by Shanta, by the way, jump in here at any time and tell me I'm wrong. Uh, add something. Can I tell you you're wrong? N- no. Okay. No, that's why your mic doesn't work. Got it. Um, yeah. uh, well, uh, a, a lot of the time, uh, it's because their proximity to things like toxic waste, even if they don't know it. What kind of waste are we talking about? Uh, lead, of, of course. Ask 
flint about that one. Uh, Pesticides, industrial chemicals, uh, agricultural runoff in the water, coal waste, fracking gases, uh, nuke waste, arsenic, uh, septic waste. And these communities, uh, this is what, that's what they're swimming in, right? Uh, Often literally, but they can't even stand up for themselves because they don't really have a lot of political power. And why not? It's for a number of reasons. Um, We can start with the fact that the system isn't broken. It was designed this way. Uh, from the very beginning, from 1610, when we when we brought the first uh, slaves over, racism is is institutionalized and it covers a number of factors, and it's being uh, no doubt reinforced by our current administration. Um, and I would argue before then. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, uh, a thousand started percent. with colonization. Yeah, uh, it absolutely did. And again, like I said, I'm from southeastern Virginia. I live next to Jamestown. Like that's, right, that's right. where it got started, um, mm-hmm. and it has continued since. Uh, you know, we started poisoning the planet uh, 100 and 110 years ago, and uh, these people are 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 feeling it the worst. And, and again, they can't stand up for themselves because we've made it so they can't. Um, and and if you read, there's a fantastic book uh, by Professor Michelle Alexander called "The New Jim Crow." Um, mm-hmm. And you know, we talk about how we take that power away from them because uh, of two things. Uh, one, many of the black males, young black males, are in jail, and two, we put most of our new prisons and many of the existing ones are in predominantly white areas. So why does that math matter? Uh, and that's because of a rule. And I, I think it's called a usual residence, uh, a usual residency, which counts the incarcerated as residents of the district where they're being held, not where they're from. So that means the oh. white districts, right. The right districts with prisons get more voting power as they seem larger than they are, they have more people and the poor black districts uh, get less voting oh, power. Oh my God. Cause it seems like their population has decreased. Uh, and it has, because of course we unjustly focus most of our law enforcement on young black males. So they're just not there anymore. And if that sounds uh, to you a hell of a lot like the three fifths clause, uh, again, uh, read Jim Crow. So <sighs> I, I promise I'm, I'm getting somewhere here. So less yeah, it's a powerful read. I, I recommend it as well. It, it's, it's even if you are inundated in this stuff and, and, or if you're from one of these areas and understand it, it is. It is so well-researched and so comprehensive. Uh, if, if this doesn't get you in the streets, I, I don't know what to tell you. Wow. Um, so, so these, I mean, Brian, you know, someone from Chicago, you, you have to read and under, understand this stuff to, to understand that Chicago was designed this way. Oh, yeah. You it's, know? I, yeah. It's, it's, it's not a, I love that city so much, but holy cow, there's some issues. Yeah. Um, so... They've got less political power, certainly less buying power. So these these populations can't fend off the chemical plants, the bottling plants, the waste dumps, landfills, uh, often mines, new power plants uh, that we're still putting in from from coming in the neighborhood. And, and the government certainly doesn't give a shit what they say about cleaning up any of these existing issues. A- African-American mothers are 100% more likely to live near a Superfund cleanup site. And there's a 2011 paper that said that proximity to a Superfund site before cleanup is associated with a 20 to 25% increase in the risk of congenital anomalies. You're, what are you saying? Superfund? Su- the Superfund cleanup sites. Um, so that's the bad places, basically. <laughs> Things it. have gone bad. We've got to clean them up. We just put some new jackass in charge. Uh, it's not going to happen, right. basically. So we're giving these babies brain damage. Good start. So what, what does that uh, effect have? They've got lower test scores, ADD, <sighs> higher crime rates, medical bills. There, there's a study, I think, in 2012 that said the heavy metals, uh, pesticides, et cetera, have cut 41 million IQ points off the American total. And, you know, you have to understand that it's not distributed equally. Right, right. So it's not just the South, uh, you know, uh, it's not just Michigan and Flint. 
Uh, we can talk about California's clean energy goals where Brian and I are, uh, but we like to gloss over our raging inequality, which checks every box from the yeah. stuff I just talked about. Um, the EPA put a map in 2015 pinpointing 200,000 at-risk communities for particular pollution, basically a lot of which is coming off tires, off roads, trains. And in South, Southern California's Black and Latino communities, not surprisingly, face the worst of it, of course. There's no difference for them from Appalachia or Missouri or Mississippi. So all this is reduced mobility. And, and, you know, if you want to argue with these health factors, I'd point you to all the research that details how Americans' brains have literally changed since we started to cut out lead. So to me, and, and we don't have to get into this part of it today, Shanta, but, uh, you know, we hear a lot from some of these uh, very rigid uh, religious groups about pro-life and how every life matters from conception, but we don't talk about the brain damage we're giving black babies and the trains full of coal that Norfolk Southern runs through their communities, my old community, throwing off particles so small that the mothers don't know their, you know, their baby's lungs are, are damaged, that they're, except their babies are always sick. They're always sick. So we mm-hmm. talk here about the conversations most vital to our survival of the species, and it's a little ridiculous sounding, but you know we're facing the greatest threat our species has ever encountered, uh, largely of our own making. And to no one's surprise, the poorest communities, often the community colors, are taking the brunt of it. You know, we we built the country on their backs, and we continue to punish them. So to me, this uh, couldn't be a more relevant and and vital conversation. Uh, to be having because what's happening to them and has been happening to them is going to happen uh, to the rest of us unless we clean up our act and and we've got um, a lot of work to do so we appreciate what people like you are doing okay that's fuck that's enough babbling Jeez, from me Jesus well, I'm sorry no um, thank you very much for that yeah well uh, forgive me very informative and very fucking sad yeah but we can do it and people like uh, Shantha and her community if it sounds like millions of people that she's in charge of again <laughs> Uh, are changing everything. So uh, so let's talk about getting on board with, uh, with environmental justice. Radical. A lot of folks have been fighting this fight for a long time. It's time to get our shit together. So Shanta, your group, uh, Creation Justice Ministries, and I'm just stealing this right off your webpage, um, says, based on the priorities of its members, with a particular concern for the vulnerable and marginalized, Creation Justice Ministries provides collaborative opportunities to build ecumenical community guides people of faith and faith communities towards eco-justice transformations and raises a collective witness in the public arena, echoing Christ's call for just relationships among all of creation. So how you did read you read that so inspiringly? I feel like fired up and ready to change the world now. Yes. Yes. That's the, that's the idea, man. Let's do this thing. So how did you guys get on that path? Again, we're not doing life story stuff, but what made you uh, point in that direction, working to raise a collective witness for those most affected? What does your work look like on a day-to-day basis? Tell me about you guys. Sure. Well, I can give you a few examples of projects we're working on right now. Please. Uh, Two weeks from now, Creation Justice Ministries, the NAACP, Interfaith Power and Light of Iowa, and Young Evangelicals for Climate Action are getting together to do a series of workshops on energy equity. We're doing them in Sioux City, Des Moines, and Waterloo. And we're bringing together faith leaders from those communities to talk about Who's getting hurt first and worst because of our fossil fuel economy? Who is paying the highest amounts for their energy bills disproportionate to their income? And the answer is communities of color. And Mm -hmm. so we're going to raise awareness about this from an inequity perspective and bring people on board with the idea of renewables as a solution going forward, Mm -hmm. not just for our climate, but also for equity. 
Is that is this happening only in Iowa or is it just like a one in a series? It's a pilot of... project. Okay, so it's okay. starting in Got Iowa it. and we're hoping to move it to more states soon. Why, why did you start with Iowa? Uh, we found partners who are willing to work together in Iowa. <laughs> uh, but Iowa is also a Very leader important. in wind power, which is really exciting. Sure. So it's a cool place to talk about renewables. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So, so what does your work besides something like that look like on a, on a day-to-day basis? Is it, is it constantly pursuing projects like that, uh, finding partners to, to, to host this sort of thing? You know, is it, is it lobbying? Talk to me how it works. Yeah. So we do a lot of event-based work, uh, such as the workshops in Iowa. We also have done a few trainings in the Carolinas, building a climate leadership bench of uh, faith leaders from every congressional district in North and South Carolina who are ready to speak powerfully at rallies or to their members of Congress or through the written word about the moral imperative to act. And then we also have an annual Appalachia conference where we talk about just transition away from the fossil fuel economy and other extractives and towards more sustainable future. So those are a few examples of the event-based things that we do. Mm -hmm. Then we also do a lot of advocacy. So educating people about things like the weakening of our fuel economy standards or the weakening of our water rules or the pulling out of the Paris Agreement. I mean, you name it in Mm -hmm. this administration, we have been working on (laughs) um, raising moral outcry about all of the rollbacks. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Um, That's crazy. So again, just thank you. I'm just going to keep saying that over and over again. Yeah, we should keep it on that end, just peppering it in. (laughs) Right, just thank you. It it sounds like, it looks like one of your focuses includes uh, reforming the coal industry. And and by that, I mean supporting those affected by this energy transition, which is uh, underway, whether the administration likes it or not. Um, And uh, I feel like, and I think it's very true, that these folks in that industry, in those areas you talk about, Appalachia, are consistently left behind, often by you know, stupid bullheaded progressives like me or Brian who want a clean break from our, our, our dirty past. You know, coal was their livelihood and, and their grandparents and their parents. And we've talked to some of those people. Yeah. But now those people are sick. They have black lung. They're now out of a job and they're worse. You know, they're just trashed in the media as being for, for some terrible reason, uh, you know, the cause of our issues, which is ridiculous. And, and we wonder why they're voting for the bad guys. Talk to me about your work there specifically and and what we can all learn from that. Sure. So we've been partnering with councils of churches and uh, nonprofits in the Appalachia region to build up a leadership group of people who will approach the transition from away from extractive economy uh, from a spiritual perspective. And the folks that we're gathering intimately see this as connected to the uh, life of the church, really. Um, as the communities that they are serving are finding that jobs have gone away, uh, that natural gas has taken over and the mm-hmm. coal mining communities um, are, are left high and dry. Um, so are churches. The churches are shrinking and they're um, looking for ways to sustain more and more people who uh, are looking for a livelihood, looking for ways forward. And so um, we see the whole process as revitalizing the church in that region as being intimately connected to economic and ecological well-being of the region. And so what does that look like? 
Uh, we've been partnering on legislative advocacy, such as uh, the Reclaim Act, mm-hmm. to put people to work reclaiming old mines in in that region. Actually, it's national. It would be all over the country, mm-hmm. but it would especially help Appalachia. Sure. Uh, there was viable Reclaim Act legislation this year, but unfortunately, it didn't it didn't go through. Uh, we also have supported power grants facilitated through the Appalachian Regional Committee Commission, uh, which would empower certain areas in Appalachia to do economic revitalization projects to help them find the new economic um, sustenance in their communities. Is that like, are you guys like helping or would or, or would you be helping uh, people find new jobs, like people out of out of work coal miners and stuff like that? So if the Reclaim Act had passed, it would have created thousands of jobs, Got put it. lots of people to work reclaiming mines, which, mm-hmm. you know, is a first step towards the next sustainable economy is to heal the land. And, can, can you just uh, define for us exactly what reclaiming mines is and does? Yeah. So basically after mining activities have finished, um, the land is not very usable for other purposes. It's been made toxic and um, mining companies are responsible for paying into an abandoned mine land fund that is held by the federal government. Hmm. And so money is already collected to reclaim these abandoned mines. Did Scott Pruitt spend it on a conference table? Probably. No, not that pot of money. Good. This pot of <laughs> money God. is just sitting there and the Congress has to release it. All they have to do is release it. That's all they have to do. It's, uh, I, I, don't know why, do. I don't know why you pretend like this is some sort of difficult thing, <laughs> you know, as, as if they're not doing anything. Uh. <laughs> um, so what are you doing to make them release it? So we had encourage people of faith to be contacting the members of Congress, having meetings about the moral imperative to heal creation and also heal our communities with new sustainable jobs. And what we really liked about the Reclaim Act legislation that was represented, um, that Representative Hal Rogers put forward was that it included community development provisions along with the mine reclamation activities. So mm-hmm. we had people talk about what they would do with their community if they were able to have some economic empowerment investment there. Uh, we also encouraged some religious leaders to get opinion pieces published um, in the media. And we did a call-in day uh, to Congress. Mm-hmm. Is there, is uh, there, but all of those efforts did not get Congress to pass the Reclaim Act. <laughs> is there any work being done on a, a new one, a modified new one that you would try to pass again? We, we might see one in the next Congress. We hope oh, so. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, we might see a lot in the next Congress. Yeah, yeah. Or it's basically all over. Ugh. I think that's kind of it. Uh, it's just, it's a big day. Hey guys, it's Quinn. If you're listening to this, you obviously like podcasts and you probably like music too. On Spotify, you can listen to all of that in one place for free. You don't even need a premium account. On Spotify, you can follow your favorite podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can download episodes to listen to offline, wherever you might be, and you can easily share what you're listening to with your friends via Spotify's integrations with social platforms like Instagram. Spotify has a huge catalog of podcasts on every topic, including the one you're listening to right now. You can just search for Important Not Important on the Spotify app or browse podcasts in the Your Library tab. Very convenient. And of course, you can follow us 
so you never miss an episode of Important Not Important. Uh, Spotify is the world's leading music streaming service, and now it can be your go-to for podcasts, too. Is it, are, are all these conversations that you're having with people or, or all, uh, all this encouraging and everything that you're talking about, is it, is it happening in church ever? At, like while these people are at mass? Yeah, it depends on where. Um, but certainly a lot of people are bringing these conversations to church. And one of the things that Creation Justice Ministries is doing to help facilitate that is encouraging certain times of year when you can have these conversations uh, with people in the congregation. Mm. You know, a lot of our work does happen in conferences where people self-select and they're the people who are interested in these issues. But it's also important to bring these issues to um, the quote-unquote pews among people who might or might might not think about these things every day. And so good opportunities for that include Earth Day Sunday. And mm-hmm. every year we release a curriculum to equip religious leaders and um, congregational creation justice teams or green teams to uh, lead conversations in their community. And then coming up very soon from September 1st through October 4th is the season of creation, which is a set of weeks that are devoted for churches to celebrate God's creation one way or another. One way or another. It begins on September 1st with the World Day of Prayer for the Care of Creation, which is observed by the World Council of Churches. Mm-hmm. It was started in the Orthodox Church. It involves the, um, the Pope Francis actually got on board with it two years ago. This guy. Big fan. Yes. And <laughs> now the Roman Catholic Church also celebrates it. Um, So it's gotten a lot of um, momentum in recent years. And then the other end of the season of creation is October 4th, which is St. Francis Day. And St. Francis is known as many as the patron saint of ecology, Mm -hmm. St. Francis of Assisi. So just to, I guess just to, to, to pivot a little bit. So, you know, these are, Appalachia and some of these areas are are, are obviously uh, much more. Um, there's a greater awareness uh, of what's happening there, obviously, because so much has transformed uh, in those issues, and they are being so left behind. Um, you know, a, a lot of uh, my concern is about these low income communities um, where they are being poisoned, uh, and oftentimes they don't know it. You know, you hear about. Again, I come back to um, train company, Norfolk Southern, which runs through the Mm -hmm. South. Um, uh, You know, there are these stories of how it blows through these communities in Virginia and how the rules and regulations uh, basically say that I think it's like the only limit on how much coal dust they can emit is that it can't exceed the amount of coal that's passed through the terminal. And so you have these entire communities where everybody has asthma. And yeah you know, these residents often don't realize it or they try to bring, again, going, going back to what we talked about earlier, they try to bring these companies to the table and they just don't do, they just don't do it. And again, you want to talk about everything being connected and why our medical system is broken is these people are constantly going to the emergency room with asthma attacks, an entire community and, and, and babies. Um, and I'm getting to the point where I, I want to know, you know, what groups like yourself uh, can do to, to help those communities, whether it's, um, you know, uh, specific going into black churches, whether it's activism, dropping leaflets, whether it's, you know, working with law firms, uh, whatever it might be. I mean, and these people have a, you know, they have a lower life expectancy because of these train cars going through their towns. And that's, it's just completely insane to me. And it feels like 
you know, we, we, we talk about, um, you know, raising a collective witness that to me, like ha- has to be such a focus. So anyways, I'm just curious what, what your efforts are in rooms like, in areas sure. like that, or if there, or if there are specific groups working towards those things, and I'm sure they have been, I'm sure they've been fighting for years and it's just, uh, you know, white people like us are just getting on board, which is infuriating for a number of reasons, but, but, but what can we do and how can we support those things? Well, there is a robust and under-resourced environmental justice movement that we partner with uh, quite a bit uh, that works at the local level. So a lot of local community organizations are trying to tackle um, issues in their local communities. Uh, One in particular that we're working actively with Mm -hmm. in uh, Florence, South Carolina Mm -hmm. is Kingdom Living Temple. Kingdom Living Temple, okay. Yes, which is run by, um, well, it is pastored by uh, Leo Woodbury. Okay. And their community is bringing people together to raise awareness about climate change's imp- impact on their community. You know, mm-hmm. they they have experienced flooding in their area. They have experienced, uh, just, you know, crazy rise in temperature, um, you know, heat waves that put people in danger of heat stroke. Mm-hmm. And so they have been working on particularly organizing their area of South Carolina uh, for environmental justice issues as frontline communities. Uh, another group that we have um, visited and gotten to know a bit is the El Vejo organization in Chicago. Mm-hmm. They have been doing a lot of really great work on getting um, truck depots out of their neighborhood because those trucks just idle there in the middle of this yeah. residential area and give everybody exposure to air pollution and put them at risk for How asthma. Is that okay? Brian, you had, a qu- you had a question about that? What was, what was the name of that one? Shantha, what was the name of that organization? Yeah, it's called El Vejo. It's Little Village Environmental Justice Organization. Is that Native American or is that uh, Latin? Most of the leaders that are active in it are Latino. Gotcha. Interesting. What what part of Chicago is that? And you're going to ask me that. I don't know Chicago that <laughs> <Come> well. Come <laughs> on. Well, if you say something, Brian might I have may some, some sort of an correct. idea. Right. Well, we can look it up also. That's very interesting. Very yeah. interesting to know that there's just semis idling in the next to homes. Very good. That's infuriating. Um, uh, so let's let's talk about the. I guess you know you guys are constantly trying to get uh, and anywhere from hyper local to to district to state to to federal uh, government uh, help in some way. Uh, so this, we've got this new uh, director of the EPA who's also a monster. Who, but he said he's vowed to improve communication with low-income and communities of color. Again, disproportionately. <laughs> I mean, that feels like such an understatement. <laughs> challenged by environmental issues, but you know, I, I, I obviously don't believe it for a second. He said we fell down on our responsibilities to to Flint. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, if you have any sort of relationship uh, with the EPA in the past, or what it's like now, or what would be the most effective? a conversation with them going forward? Yeah, so our organization has always maintained a commitment to building relationships with the Department of Interior and the Environmental Protection Agency and any agencies that deal with the issues that our communities care about. And we have met with every EPA administrator since I can remember since the organization started to understand their priorities and how to go about working with them. I will say that there are parts of the Environmental Protection Agency that are still doing their job and are still able to partner with our communities. And uh, it's important to maximize 
the partnership that we can find uh, with anybody who's willing to do their job because people can't wait. People can't wait for the next administration to pass. So. No, and it seems it's, a, it's really easy for a lot of folks to say that, to say like, oh, well, just you wait after November 6th. But what about these, you know, folks with the sick kids or got the... I'm trying so hard not to curse because uh, <laughs> yeah. because I, I know that's probably not your ballgame. I usually drop a lot of F-bombs in these things. But again, like semis idling in communities um, or, you know, we, we talk about climate change a lot. But, uh, you know, this conversation, it's like, oh, hey, yeah, you guys, uh, you all got asthma, but also now it's flooding. You're welcome. Yeah, like, what? Um, mm-hmm. You're welcome. And and it feels like I, I am glad there are so many people doing those jobs. And I, I have a I have a friend in the office of budget management, which is um, uh, or uh, management budget. And they are, uh, you know, the, he- the head of that place is literally the enabler of, of all of these uh, dr- draconian issues. Um, but he he had to make a choice. Do I stay there and fight or do I leave and fight? And it's a damn hard choice that he wrestles with every day. Um, he's still there mm-hmm. now. He's still there. I mean, he hasn't called while <laughs> like, we've right, been recording. Right, right. Uh, and he, every major regulation that we care about that relates to protecting creation, we have made sure we book a meeting with Office of Management and Budget to let them know our opposition to it being rolled back. Huh. If your folks are in the DC area or able to travel to DC and you can set up a meeting, that is an agency that is often really overlooked and they are the ultimately people they are have the ultimate no deciders. idea how powerful they are. No idea how powerful uh, they are. I mean, their I mean, name I is didn't. so boring. Like yeah. well, people don't know of, what they do. Right. Which is <laughs> and they that, run and the that, damn show. Apparently. Right. And that is what's super dangerous. Wow. Is we, you know, most people don't know what they do. We might have to figure that we might have to get him on like yeah, FBI yeah. style with a, with a muffled horse <laughs> ball. <laughs> You know, put him in a silhouette. Uh, wow. I would screw that up somehow and just have like a spotlight on him. <laughs> Here's his name and his social security number. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm glad there's people fighting and I'm so glad you guys are able to find those folks and, and partner with them. And and obviously if they're out there listening, thank you for still doing your jobs and and, and fighting until we can hopefully turn this thing around. But like you said, there's, there's some people that can't wait. So that brings me to uh, talking a little bit about... Um, this incredible woman, uh, Rashida Tlaib, uh, who's just strangely, yeah. <laughs> super strangely elected, uh, technically, well, theoretically, I guess, not technically yet, elected to Congress in Michigan in that she doesn't have a Republican challenger in the election. Uh, but she's going to represent Detroit. Uh, our first, um, I believe, I'm, I might mangle this, she's definitely our first Muslim woman in Congress, or will be, and I think also first Palestinian. Um, mm. But she's going to represent Detroit. Uh, obviously, uh, not just Detroit, Michigan's having uh, environmental justice issues all over the place. Uh, Flint mm-hmm. is obviously a huge issue. We're going to start a space force, but we can't get them fresh water. Uh, Kalamazoo has all kinds of shit in their water, sometimes literally. Detroit, has they have water shutoffs a few times a year, which is crazy. I can't imagine living right. in a city where that's this, this city is, is fighting to get back off the ground and, and in some ways has succeeded. <sighs> um, but it's there's a new law. That let's pl- literally uh, representatives of polluting companies, Brian, sit on panels with a power to override policy and uh, pollution permitting decisions made by the state. So they have seats on that board. And that's just business as usual. So she's got her, her work cut out for why her. Why is that okay? So, how is that po- How? Right. Well, uh, it's uh, those are the people in charge and they yep. cap- uh, capitulate to the to the money that's that's involved. Um, but I, I, I want to, again, it is what it is. How do we 
support people like her? Right. How do we get more folks like her into office in these areas where even the smallest dent could make such a difference? Well, Creation Justice Ministries is not in the business of campaigning. Sure. But no, we of do educate candidates. And I hope that um, Rashida Tlaib and any other incoming members of Congress really pay attention to the climate and also to water issues mm-hmm. and how they're connected. Mm-hmm. And in Rashida Tlaib's case, she has plenty of stories to share from Detroit about the water shutoffs and how they have affected public health in the community. And she's in a great position to advocate for water as a human right, which is something that Creation Justice Ministries really supports. Uh, there is plenty of clean water and safe water advocacy to do. And I hope that she champions that when she comes in. It, it seems like she's, she's, she's making that a big, big focus, obviously. I mean, I think if you went into coming from that situation yeah, in that you, area you and you went into Congress with anything else but that, yeah. it would be a little weird. <laughs> um, but she seems pretty hell-bent on that. So, so again, talking about uh, uh, what will happen on November 6th, um, you know, getting people like her in there and more, more folks like her who, who, and it's, it's great that you guys don't uh, handle campaigning because we need you to do other things. And the education right. part is just as important, if not more important in times. Cause I mean, some of our first conversations were with folks who work on the Hill and do do uh, lobbying a lot of times. And they'll tell us how, uh, you know, some of these representatives vote one way cause they're just not educated on, on the specific topic, which you know that there that's a failure uh along the chain of of command uh, as terrible as lobbying cuz b we have to educate these people so they can understand what's happening they can't you know it's 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 kind of a terrible way to put it but it's great they're seeing fucking wildfires on their tv now cuz it's right, like right. well this is what we got you don't have an education everything is on fire yeah you can see this right yeah you can <laughs> right can't miss that so anyways. one thing that we do a lot of is we educate members of Congress about what their own religious traditions say about caring for creation. Oh, and t- it'll be great to, to have. Yeah. So, you know, we work with a variety of denominations. I listed them all off for you earlier. And then we also partner Let's closely. Let's get back into it. I want to hear it again. I believe it Jewish was just groups. all of them. Correct. I believe that was it. You should start by listening uh, there, to the ones you don't so work many. with. We have a lot of religious diversity in the United States. And I do think that bringing different religious and moral perspectives um, to the table when understanding mm-hmm. how the great traditions have talked about the earth and our relationship to creation and our responsibility to one another uh, is a really important starting place for understanding what our collective values are and those those values conversations need to reflect the diversity of our country. So I think it's exciting that we finally would have a Muslim woman in Congress. So where do you see in bringing all those people together? It sounds uh, wonderful and harmonious. I imagine at times sure it it's not, uh, or it's difficult at least. Where do you see uh, most of your obstacles and, and complications on that front? Interestingly, on environmental issues, there's very little barrier to working together. The The issues that come up are often logistical, like let's make sure we don't schedule things on anyone else's holiday. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Jesus, if, uh, literally, if that's the issues, if that's your biggest issue, then that's great. You've, uh, 
It sounds there like... is such broad and strong agreement about care, our moral imperative to care for creation across religious traditions. It's pretty astounding. There are some issues that religious communities have a difficult time working together on, but mm-hmm. environment is not one of them. Well, and that's... Uh, we try to reach out to folks that we probably disagree with on... Right. Uh, what would you say, Brian? 99 out Every, of 100 uh, things? Yeah. <laughs> uh, good news is this one, um, it seems like a lot of folks are on board and and we've come back to this a million times we think it's an important theme for our, for us to remember and also our listeners is that often the messenger is more important than the message and why someone like you or reverend reverend Hescox yep. uh are better suited uh to talk to their communities than you know stupid greenpeace or npr shouting at them all the time um that's not going to be really effective well, meeting people where they're at is a huge part of the way that we do our work, for sure. Well, we, we could all learn something from that. So yeah. I, I, have, uh, I have one more sort of wonky question before we get into sort of some specific steps. So a, a lot of folks, and, and when we talk to people who work with, work with folks who are already in Congress, uh, who are either, have either demonstrated um, that they want to take action or have told people behind the scenes that they'd be willing to under certain conditions, yada, yada. It starts to feel like there's a, there's a lot of momentum ish uh, for a carbon tax or a revenue <laughs> neutral carbon fee is the way to get uh, our shit together on climate and clean energy action. The issue I guess is getting it passed might require with doing away with a number, if not m- most of the current regulations that are barely keeping our head above water as it is when it comes to clean water and clean air and such. So most of these communities already don't have a voice in how these big sweeping decisions are made. How, what, and and feel free to just say, I have no idea, but what do you, or I don't speak for them, but what do you think they would say if we actually did give a shit about what they said? I'm sorry, who is they? They is, uh, you know, again, uh, these, these poor communities or Appalachia or, or the Latin communities or the folks in Chicago. Any idea on that front? Because it ju- I, I'm just coming, you know, we try to get people to work most specifically with their voice and their vote and their dollar. And that mm-hmm. means talking to their local and state representatives and, and starting to build momentum for something like this, some big, big change. Uh, and, and if it's going to be some sort of carbon neutral revenue fee, you know, I, I'm curious to hear what these communities have to say about that and have to, what their fears might be uh, about the fact that a lot of these regulations, the clean power plan, the clean water plan might go away in place of a fee like this. Yeah, I think it's incredibly important to listen to a variety of communities about how a, um, any kind of carbon pricing scheme could have impact them. Um, we have been getting feedback and one of the key concerns is the regulatory rollback that might accompany any viable carbon pricing legislation that we could see because the regulatory rollbacks would be the last best safeguards for environmental justice communities that they need to protect their basic clean air and clean water. And so we, we see regulatory rollback as a a non-starter in terms of any carbon pricing scheme. Um, And we would like to see also that all communities that are low income will be benefiting from a carbon pricing legislation as well. So that means that, you know, if it's a revenue neutral carbon pricing um, package, that 
you know, there is a special effort to return um, a larger amount to lower income communities, mm-hmm. either through a check to them individually right. uh, or through remediation for pollution that has been in their communities for years. Sure. <laughs> or I mean, climate I, change adaptation the, and, or mitigation. The bad word people are, uh, throw about is, is reparations, but it's insane to me that that's not part of the discussion. Well, we need to make it part of the discussion. <laughs> right, right. A- absolutely. And and it sounds like, you know, Washington state failed to pass carbon tax with a Democratic House, Democratic Senate, Democratic governor. So it makes you go like, oh, God, if we can't do it there, where's it going to happen? But I, part of the sticking point was where does the money go? And I think that's a big question for a lot of folks. But part of that discussion has to be it can't be everybody in America gets a hundred bucks. Right. Because uh, some of these folks are doing fine. And some of them are definitely not in the past and right now and in and in the future. And and that's why I want to make sure we're we're as this as this conversation is developing and building momentum towards November sixth and afterwards that that those voices are are coming out as much as possible because you know it's not black or white. It's not like, hey, there's a carbon fee and all the regulations are gone. It's gonna be somewhere in the middle. Um but these people are barely being protected as it is. So I want to make sure those voices are being heard. Yeah, definitely. And the conversation needs to be happening at a much bigger scale than it is now. I think this is, you know, questions about carbon pricing are just the beginning of conversations that our communities are not ready to have at scale. There needs to be massive education about the climate solutions that we are going to have on the table in the next few years. You know, geoengineering is such a new topic. It's mind-blowing for most people when they first hear about it. It was for me. And yeah. I I can tell you that conversation is not going on in the churches at any scale that I have seen. Um, so we have a lot of education oh, to do, do to make sure that we share what decisions are going to be on the table and what people really think about them and how they'll impact local communities. Well, I understand. You can empathize with a little bit because it seems so out of the realm of someone's day-to-day life to be talking about the the practical implications uh, and economies, you know, surrounding geoengineering. It sounds like, what are you, t- <laughs> what are you talking about? And it's also like, uh, I don't know. Did you see Snowpiercer? It didn't go great. Uh, Not you a know? good end of that movie. Um, but at the same time, we, like you said, there needs to be a coordinated effort for education before we can have a conversation for anything. And that's part of why we try to give context for these things before we get into this nitty gritty is so people understand, you know, what people are facing, what the implications would be. Cause when we say across the board, it's different across the board for everybody. Yeah. And really what, the, what it comes down to is investing at scale in education and listening processes, which is something that we have not seen. We have these conversations rushing ahead in the policy realm while most people rarely even think about them. And that is not okay. That's not how we're going to get the solution we need. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, all right. So we've, well, we've obviously been talking about this whole time, but we, what we need, what we, what we always want from these conversations is action steps. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, we, we have a lot of listeners and, and we need them to use their voice and their vote and their money, uh, to, uh, to, you know, help make a difference here. So what, what, Let's go over that. What what can what can we and our listeners actually do with sure. our money, with our voice? So among faith communities, I would definitely recommend encouraging people to look at honoring Earth Day Sunday or mm-hmm. the season of creation from September 1st through October 4th. 
Mm-hmm. You can find information about those at earthdaysunday.org okay. or seasonofcreation.org. Awesome. We'll put all that in the show notes. Great. I think that that's a great opportunity to meet people where they're at and encourage these conversations to move forward among folks that don't necessarily think about them every day. Right. So what what about the people who, when you walk into a church, the holy water boils? Um, what about those people? <laughs> Like when I personally walk into a church, the whole body boils. I was going to put you much higher on a pedestal yeah, yeah. Than, than either Brian or I, I am. Thinking but, more like us. Uh, <laughs> um, but you know, what about the people not involved in 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 church communities of any sort? What do I do? Sure. So Brian, what does Brian do? Tell him what to do. Tell me. Sure. What to do. I think that the listening that we were talking about earlier is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Listening to people who think differently than you, putting yourself in different environments than the one that you're usually in. You know, the bubble effect is really hurting our communities and our ability to tackle collective problems. And so the to the degree that you can visit another community, listen to them. Um, I think that's really important. I think this podcast is a great vehicle for that. Well, easy. Easy. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, listening, uh, meeting people where they are really seems to be a pretty recurring theme. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We need to do a lot of if everyone is going to be involved on this front going forward. Yeah. And then I also would say that people who are very concerned about the climate, we tend to all hang out with each other. Mm -hmm. and, And we tend to have certain narratives that we share with each other about what's going on. Uh, So I think just pausing and thinking about like, how does this connect to like public health? Or how does this connect with animal lovers? Or how does this connect with, you know, people who are concerned about disaster relief issues or the refugee crisis? Mm -hmm. Um, Any way that you can make climate issues intersectional, we have found that's been a great entry point for conversations with people who think differently. And it seems like it's another version of meeting people where they are. Right. Exactly. You know, oh, yeah. hey, this is what you give a shit about. Did you know uh, that this affects that? And uh, yeah, it affects everything. There's not even, it's, that wouldn't even be a challenge. Find the thing that, that matters to them. There's definitely something that, right. that it's all connected. Do you breathe air? Right. Oh, well. Yeah. You'll never believe this. <laughs> yeah. Funny story. <sighs> and then my last action step is probably one that everybody says, but please pay attention to what your decision makers are doing and saying. Yes. Especially yeah. the boring ones. Places like the Office of Management and Budget make my really important office. decisions. Yeah, we're going to dig into that. He's never going to come on the podcast unless he's like, I'm out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe on like the last day. We're, That's wild. Maybe we can maybe we can figure that out because it is important. And I'm so glad, Jonathan, that you are uh, brutally aware of the how important that is and devastating that they have been in the past year. All right. Uh, we're getting we're getting close to time here. Uh, and thank you so much, Shanta, for, thank for you. being here with us today and, and having this conversation with us. Yeah, Thanks uh, for having me. Who else should we talk to? Is there anybody you can think of? If not now, you can hit us up later, but anybody else doing... Game, uh, game changers. Doesn't have to be climate. Doesn't have right, to be right. energy. People that are... Uh, could be some dorky scientist you follow on we Instagram. We love dorky scientists. We love dorkies. We are not dorky scientists. We do <laughs> appreciate them and like them and yes. stalk them from not a distance, <laughs> often um but you know uh anyways anything like that people are doing incredible things that's well, affecting so a lot another of folks. person who i think does great work on meeting people where they're at is Catherine hayhoe and if you haven't talked with her yet yes. she's so, uh guess, Shama, guess how many of our guests have recommended <laughs> her 
I mean, I would say we, we Shantha's 30, 30 second guess. At least. Like that. I would say 25 people 25 out of 32 have recommended Catherine Hale. And, and we've we're, been, <laughs> we're in the process. We're in the process. We've chatted with her. She's people. in demand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But she just seems <laughs> incredible. Uh, wow. Okay. Um, per, yeah. So another person I would recommend is the um, director of the U.S. Climate Action Network, Kaya okay. Chatterjee. Okay. Um, she has really moved the way the U.S. Climate Action Network works together to become more collaborative, more democratic. And she really has embraced this need for the climate movement to be a much bigger tent. Mm-hmm. And she would be an interesting conversation partner for building a bigger tent. Awesome. Do you, do you guys work with them? Yeah, we're active members of U.S. Climate Action Network. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Of course you are. <laughs> Stupid question. I'm sorry. Awesome. Uh, that's really helpful. We always appreciate uh, recommendations from, from and, people. Like- and then I do have a bee in my bonnet about the funding systems. Of yeah, the let's get to it. So I think Kaya could comment about that articulately. Uh-huh. And um, anybody like in the environmental justice movement who works on funding. Oh yeah. Jalan Newsom White might be a really interesting okay. conversation Who's that human partner. Being? She, she is with the Ford foundation. Okay. And she's newer to philanthropy and she came from an environmental justice organization called We Act for Environmental Justice. Okay. And I think she went into philanthropy because she saw some of the structural problems with the way our movement is resourced. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Interesting. Um, yeah, that sounds like you just thought of like an, another entire hour that we could talk about. Yeah. Which I'm curious. Uh, it's a really important topic. When you look about the organizations and the spokespeople that are best resourced, they're mm-hmm. not necessarily the people who are the best messengers. That's a shocker. <laughs> um, all right, uh, Brian, let's hit it with the lightning round. Let's get her out of here. Sounds great. First one. Not a lightning not round a lightning question. question. <laughs> um, Shanta, when was the first time in your life when you realized that you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? Wow. Go. <laughs> It was probably in college. I visited Immokalee, Florida. Where'd you go to college? Is, I went to the University of Notre Dame. Notre Dame. I knew that already. In Indiana. A little bit of research. Oh, nice. And we visited Immokalee, Florida, where some tomato pickers had organized themselves into the coalition of Immokalee workers to push back against pesticide use that was harming their health as well as their slave wages. Wow. Uh, and they wanted us to bring the campaign back to our campuses. And so I helped um, get involved in expanding that campaign on the the Notre Dame campus. And that was really my first foray into advocacy. That's awesome. Who is someone in your life that's positively impacted your work in the past six months? And you cannot say Brian. (laughs) (laughs) All right, don't laugh too much. (laughs) Just kidding. You can laugh a lot. Uh, so, okay. So I'm expecting a baby. Congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. And I would have to say that this baby has positively impacted my advocacy work. Wow. No pressure, baby. Happen. A lot a of answer. parents say this and I thought, oh, that's so cliche, but it's really true. Like a lot of these climate projections go through 2100 and yeah, yeah when your baby will be, will be alive. 82. Yeah. Yeah. In 2100, God willing. 
Sure. No, and I, the, the projections are scary. I don't want my baby to live in that world. I want to live in a I want my baby to live in a much better world than that. Yeah. It definitely lights a fire. I, I've got a I've well, got, you a, got kids. I've got a brood of them. And um it definitely um just on my own conscious and also they're they're starting to be old enough to ask questions, specific environmental questions, uh and, and day-to-day life questions. Um based on just what we talk about, but also watching things like Blue Planet um, or yeah. seeing smoke in the sky uh, that makes them go, oh, what the hell's going on there? And you have to answer them and I answer honestly. And um, mm-hmm. that definitely um, lights a fire under me every day. So I, I can oh totally... If I to- feel agitated by an heirloom tomato-sized fetus, I can't, I can't wait to hear what questions <laughs> my look, there's a lot of me. Look, there's a lot of hormones going on. And some of those go away later. Some of them change. I'm not a doctor. I've just had a lot of experience with it. Uh, but it is when they, when you look at them and you see what's out there and you look at those projections. And then again, when they get to the point that they can start to comment or think or ask questions, boy, it, um, there's times where you're just like, yeah, "Yeah, sorry, we screwed this place up and, um, gonna, gonna, I'm going to bust my ass to, to try and going to need you to bust your ass too, but but to do something about it. And also you're going to need to participate. Um, because it's, that's where we are and it, it really does drive you. And if it doesn't, uh, that's weird. So, uh, Shanta, what do you do when you get overwhelmed by all this? I spend time outdoors. Yeah. That's a good answer. I have, specifically, this, great, what do you I have do? this great walking trail, like two blocks from my house, Sligo Creek Park walking trail. Mm-hmm. And I like to go there with my dog and just enjoy the beautiful creek and the trees. It's our little patch of nature near our neighborhood. That's awesome. And just ground myself. Recenter. Nice. Awesome. Shanta, how do you consume the news? Much more carefully than I did before 2016. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> I think I'm very careful about making sure that the news sources I'm consuming are are balanced. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am an NPR head. I listen to that every morning. Yeah. And then I get digests of environmental news. And then I carefully consume the rest of the news because one can only take so much bad news every day. <laughs> so. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> you got you to gotta dole it out. Um, you got to be in the right headspace for it. I just, I, I read all my news on Facebook only. Good, Brian. Yeah, yeah. So Good. I think everything's going That's great. That's not the for problem me. at all. No, 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 not at all. Way to go, champ. Um, Shanta, if you could Amazon Prime one book to Donald Trump, what would it be? Hmm. And for context, uh, we have a Amazon gift list uh, where our listeners can go and buy all of these books our guests recommend, and they get literally shipped to the White House. So, well. Assuming he would read the book, that's I would always send a problem. A very popular a good book in the form of the Green Bible. Okay, awesome. That's is that the one that's highlighted? Wait, where did we get one of these? Yeah, is it on Amazon? It is on Amazon. Scott Pruitt got one. Hey, Donald all right, Trump oh, should get one too. Yeah, at least at least one. Yeah, that's such a great idea. It's such a great idea. God, that's smart. Oh, it's so smart. That's awesome. I love that. We're gonna have to check that out for sure. I was a religion studies. A major in college, despite the fact that I'm uh, not participating. So I, I appreciate anything like that. That's awesome. Shanta, where can our listeners follow you online? You can find Creation Justice Ministries on Twitter and on Instagram at Creation Justice. And you can find us on Facebook on facebook.com slash Creation Justice. And you can find me on Twitter, although I'm not a great tweeter. 
at Shanta R. Alonzo. Come on. I'm sure you're great. Probably better than Brian. It's a low bar. Come on. I can't remember the last time I tweeted. That's okay. (laughs) I tweeted events. Oh, yeah. I tweet when other people ask me to promote stuff. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes people just retweet, but that's good. Sure. We we love retweets. Yeah. (laughs) Jesus. All right. Uh, well, listen, Shanta, we've taken enough of your time. Your dog's got to go out again here. Uh, yeah, she just did. <laughs> yep. Perfect. Um, listen, uh, we can't thank you enough uh, and and for coming on and for, for all that you do uh, every day in yes. charge of all those people. So right. many people. So yeah, many not, people. Not in charge of them. Nope. I think that's what it is now. <laughs> I mean, um, maybe in a parallel universe, I could like dictate to them, everyone yeah. reorient yourself to fix the creation of all of the all the woes wouldn't that be wonderful plague it small requests you know that's how it gets started (laughs) one thing at a time um well listen keep kicking ass we we appreciate you we thank you um and uh hopefully we we hear from you again thanks for all the awareness you're raising with this podcast too uh we're trying we're trying in between the f-bombs um (laughs) thanks shanta we will uh talk to you soon all right have a great day thanks Bye. bye Thanks to our incredible guest today, and thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at importantnotimp. Just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important, Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us, you know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. (laughs) And you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thanks.